Welcome to Sinner's Take, another Catholic guys podcast of which we are the worst. I'm Alec. I'm Eddie. And I'm Jonah. And today we're going to be asking Jonah some questions. I thought he was going to ask us questions. Yeah, so we're here with Jonah, who's been one of my best friends for, what, a dozen years now? Yeah, about. Uh, yeah, Baker's met- dozen. <laughs> Baker's dozen. Baker's dozen years. Uh, we met a long time ago playing soccer together. Who's better uh, at soccer? Alec can answer that question. I wanted to see how long we could leave it silent. <laughs> um, we'll just say I am. I'm the best at soccer. Yeah, no, we won't that. say that. False. <laughs> There's one thing we know for certain is I am not the best at soccer. <laughs> Might be the smartest. So, Jonah, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm a 23-year-old male uh, from the Great Bay Area. Grew up in Riverside where me and Alec met. We met in Ojai at an ODP camp. The only thing I know about that place is uh, it's mentioned in the movie Wind River as being like a really awesome place. Ojai's great. It's good. We're at a boarding school. And uh, played a really awkward game of ping pong. Yeah, we both uh, got there early yeah. and just didn't have anything to do. <laughs> so we just played ping pong while our moms Luckily, talked. our moms are chatty yeah. and uh, made us interact. And then uh, the game got better and we chatted more. And then next thing you know, we were buds. So um, and now we're 23 and that was when we were like 11 and a half, 12 years old. So, I mean, I, I my only interaction with Jonah has been in the times that he's come and visited Alec, which is, you know, twice a year or so every year which is actually pretty impressive because like they've never you guys have never lived in the same area while being friends right you used to live in riverside but that was before you were friends right no and or like just just right we could drive also yeah so so our parents had to take us okay yeah but i feel like the vast majority of your friendship has been like long distance which i think is something to be commended because usually those friendships just like fall away after a while you know yeah dude we're gonna visit each other every single year and then (laughs) it happens like two or three times right it ends it's probably been 10 years of long distance because also like i left california for four years that's right so like after college like my first flight was always down here like literally like the week after (laughs) like that was always kind of our thing so he was like i go down for summer he comes up for winter so got a good routine of bowling competition mini golf competition we even made up a game at least we thought we did turns out it's a real game (laughs) we call it racketless handball but it's called but it's just Racquetball with our bare hands. Yeah. Um, probably not good for our hands, but they're what a game. S- they're, they're typically incredibly swollen. We'll have to link the website that we made for yeah. it. It's uh, I'll have to get the actual URL for that. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm happy to be here. Um, I am not Catholic. Um, I'm even. What? Yeah, wow. Get off. Get out of here. <laughs> and that's all that before we gave you a mic. <laughs> Alec, you didn't say that. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm in discovery mode at the moment. Just been traveling, playing soccer overseas, and just searching for a church with their Bluetooth on. Yeah, <laughs> just searching for whatever comes, and um, I'm incredibly open-minded, so um, I'm happy to be here and learn a little bit. So yeah, it's me. Well, uh, have you considered uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I mean, at times, <laughs> I, it comes up in my head once in a while. The college you went to was a Presbyterian Presbyterian college. Yeah. So do you want to maybe talk about your experience with that yeah, a little bit? Totally. Yeah. That was my first real taste of religion. So I've always been, 
I've always been spiritual, incredibly spiritual. I've always had like, I've had a few interactions with spirits as a kid. I can get into that a little bit later. But I went to a school called Whitworth, went to play soccer there. And uh, we had to take a mandatory religion class. So most people get that out of the way their first year. So yeah, I went to Whitworth uh, in Spokane, required to take one full religion class and three years of Western civilization, which is all um, philosophy and religious based classes on how the civilization was really formed. So <laughs> were there like church requirements? Uh, we did an athlete's gospel like um, service mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning of every season uh, where everybody went and you had to go to that one. It wasn't like mandatory, mandatory. But my coach was religious, and we did that out of respect, just being there. Yeah, so I took a class called Intro to Bible, about as introductory as it gets <laughs> in terms of uh, there's a lot of like new believers in there. I was probably the only one that was quote-unquote agnostic or atheist or however you want to call me. I don't know what I How was. How about human, you know? Yeah, <laughs> human's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I remember sitting in the back because I was super... I couldn't be bothered this class. I was very much a non-believer. I thought all religion was stupid. I was spiritual, but I didn't really believe in God at the time. Uh, my dad's religious. My mom's kind of religious. Not really, but my dad is. And I'm like probably the furthest down. And so I remember going to class the first day. My teacher was a real cool guy. So it made it a lot easier. He's kind of like you, honestly, Eddie. Oh, thank you. He's yeah. pointing at Eddie. Yeah. I'm cool. Write it down. <laughs> Forgot there's no screen. Put it in the show notes. Uh, I just remember going to class, though. The way he interacted with me was um, a lot different than a lot of religion talks I've had because I felt very pressurized by it. And I still felt that pressure most of my college life. And it wasn't until I found like good mentors that were willing to work with me and understand where I was coming from that I really started to have a positive experience with the whole seeking God thing. Cause obviously I'm still seeking and it's going to be a while probably until I really, it's going to be a lifelong journey, honestly. Um, so, but I went to this class and we just kind of read scripture and went over scripture and basically covered like most of the old Testament, which is pretty boring. <laughs> and some of the new Testament, which I liked cause those are like the fun ones. Um, well, I don't know. I've, the The Old Testament it can be tedious, but it has ridiculous stories in it if they're if they're explained <laughs> no. properly. Yeah, no, good stories, but man, slow. It it's can really be, yeah, slow. it really is a slow burn. Yeah, man, like dude. You don't like, like the family trees? Like Deuteronomy <laughs> was brutal, man. I just remember when he. Was, oh yeah, that's the worst. When he said Deuteronomy, that's when I decided not to show up to class. Yep. It was a decent experience. Um, I passed the class, did really well. Decided to like seek more advice as college went on. I had three very intelligent professors in my communications major who were all really knowledgeable about this subject. Um, you kind of have to be to teach at my school. And then my coach as well, who's like still a mentor to me today. Um, he's a great guy. So who I just met for the first time, I knew I had heard about him for like four years and I finally got to meet him the other day. What a joyous guy. Right. Shame, I mean, shameless plug, Morgan Cathy, Whitworth men's <laughs> soccer head coach. Just ex- so exuberant. And I, I had never met him. He was so excited to see me just because I was with Jonah. Yeah. But I he, mean, talk about 
just joy in his job, joy in where he was and meeting people. I mean, his life is a happy. Yeah. Like he really treats life in a way of like better than anyone I've ever seen. Um, he puts a lot of pressure on himself though as a coach. He holds a really high standard for his players, but off the field, he's one of the greatest people I've ever met. And he only knew Alec purely off word and was like, oh, buddy, what's up, man? Like, <laughs> And like when they, they chatted for a bit, I'm pretty sure. After, yeah, right? after the game. But yeah, so college was a really cool experience because it opened my eyes a lot to the possibility of all this. Again, I'm not the biggest fan of religion. Can I, I, I think that might give us a good direction, actually, as we transition here. Yeah. Cause, and that's something we, we hear a lot, like I'm spiritual but not religious. So what does that kind of idea mean to you? How does that translate? Right. Yeah. Um, a lot of it's the people. It's the issues I have with it. Um, I think people give it a horrible name at times just because yeah. they're incredibly judgmental. Um, if you break like the rules, quote unquote rules of their religions, they look at you as like a terrible person. Some people, obviously you guys don't, but I've met people that have found out that I do certain things and they hit you with like a, oh, really? Like, that's a shame. <laughs> yep. You know, and you're like, you're a shame. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, 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 like yeah. I don't know how to respond to it. It's like, okay, thanks. I guess right. like, you're, you're nice. But I do seek like, I know I have a feeling that there's something bigger than us. That's where I'm at right now. And I've had talks with my friend who's very similar to me. And we have had talks where it's like, yeah, there, there has to be something bigger than us. But we just don't know yet, obviously. And so I think religion, there's just a lot of confines to it, to me, in the sense that, like, there's a lot of people say, like, well, how can you live your life with good morals? Like, I've been asked this. How can you, how do you know what morals are good without the guidance of God or the religion you're a part of? And my response always is like, I live life to treat others better than I treat myself. And that's how I've always approached life. And that's why I've seeked Buddhism a lot because it's kind of similar to that in the sense of like living life selflessly. Again, I'm very new to the Buddhism type thing. Um, again, I just research randomly when I'm really feeling up for it. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of like what I have for that answer. I really don't. Yeah, there's a lot there. I think right out the gate, uh, you know, shout out to your um, soccer coach because, like we've talked about before, and we've mentioned several times in this podcast, being kind and being welcoming and be actually being the face of Christ to somebody, drawing them into the faith through love is so much more valuable than Bible thumping, right? And even this this man who he probably brought you to your first positive encounter with the faith, maybe him or in your teacher as well, mm -hmm. and that was mostly in who they were as people in the life that they lived more so than giving you rules and things like that. So I think that that's really important to, to, to know as well. And, you know, as far as the, the judgmental people, it, that, that, that's super, that's super tough. I mean, I really don't understand. And the whole, the whole morality thing is I don't, that's not even a proper argument of theology too, because even we in the church understand that we believe our, the teaching is that God, because he knows that people will kind of wander away from him. He ingrained into the human person, something that's called natural law which is the idea that it's kind of like where you get your conscience from is a reason why even of, across all faiths, essentially in all governing systems, they all fall on essentially the same rules when it comes to like right. laws and morality, uh, small differences there. But the idea is that natural law is written inside of us that we naturally seek after what is good. 
I mean, I do think that there is some sort of a, a, a pull towards like the authority of it. Like from what authority do you say, do you claim that this is the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. Because if there is no objective morality of God, how do you have the authority of it? But as far as like, how are you a good person? I don't, I don't think that that has ever or will ever hold water. And I think it definitely turns off more people than it brings in. Right. And, and there's judgmental people in every crowd. There's judgmental non-believers. Probably a lot of them. <laughs> there's judgmental believers. There's judgmental Christians. There's judgmental Catholics. There's judgmental. So it's like you take it and you leave it. it. Kind of, it comes in different forms, but it's all the same. It's still judgment. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you get judged, it obviously pushes you further away. I think this is a, a, a struggle when it comes to judgmentalness in in any aspect. Is it's easy to sit here and say like from where I'm sitting that like everything that you w- would say that you are struggling with, I can say like, Oh, there's a clear answer for that. Right. Like, like if you just accept these premises that I believe you won't have these thoughts anymore. Right. But that completely just dis- disregards your experience. Right. Because what you are experiencing right now is a real thing, right? You, your, your struggles in this is not something that th- does justice to you as a person or me as even someone who would theoretically want to evangelize to you doesn't do any justice to anybody to just like completely downplay the experience that you're feeling that you're going through. Like these questions that you're having, these doubts, these searchings, like they're real and you feel them and to not give them the proper due respect, I think does a lot of harm in any type of conversation in this respect. And I think this is something that the much of the political spectrum suffers from as well is that the way people think the way they think for a reason, you know, for the most part, they have some sort of experience. They think some, some way. So maybe as a cultural reason or like most people, no one wakes up and says like, you know, what? I'm just going to find the dumbest idea and I'm going to believe it. Right. There's always more or less a reason for it. And I say this to my students a lot. I mean, and I would call myself, you know, probably more on the right side of politics, but, and I think there's problems in both. I think there's great detriment to the world to, to, preach the idea that, you know, whatever you decide to be true is true. I think that that can cause a lot of damage, but also I think this whole, you know, facts don't care about your feeling and I'm just out to like make you look stupid in a bad argument. I don't think that that does anybody any good either. And yes, facts may not care about your feelings, but like I should care about your feelings as a person and um, not to lead with these, like, you know, degrading your experience or degrading the way that you think as inferior because it's what you experience and it's what you think. And right. you do have those, you hold those thoughts for a reason. Yeah. And, and like you said, like your beliefs stem from somewhere. I'm assuming, actually I probably shouldn't assume, but you were brought up in a Catholic family. Right? Yes, I was. And so I feel like that makes a huge difference. I know some people that were brought up in Catholic families that have been pushed away from it because of the intensity of it. And maybe it was forced down their throats as kids um, that's why, like, some Catholics have bad reputation. And that's just coming from an outsider. I would ask you, how do you deal with, like, outsiders' perspectives? Because obviously you're knowledgeable about the subject. So if I was to tell you, like, you know, like I said, I've heard a lot of negativity towards Catholics. The fact that they don't follow the rules often. The fact they break them more often than they do follow them. That's why, like... Like, they make fun of Catholic women in, like, high schools or Catholic guys. Like, at these high schools, it's, like, a time where they're all really rebellious. How do you respond to that? Yeah. Go ahead. Alec. They don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I mean, right off the bat, I would have to say that the message isn't in their heart. And also tied to what happened before, someone misrepresenting an idea doesn't make the idea wrong. The ideas are right or wrong outside of mm -hmm. who is presenting them. To take something that is closer to the church, someone might from the Catholic Church might say, hey, abortion is wrong. But then you might also learn that they had an abortion. You can call them a hypocrite, but the argument of whether or not abortion is wrong is not affected by whether or not the person giving it has had an abortion. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and I think something that stood out to me when you were talking about, you know, me being raised in a Catholic family, absolutely. I was, I am what they call a cradle Catholic from cradle to, to now. I honestly couldn't imagine my life without the faith. But I think the reason why so many people fall away from the faith when, you know, when, like you said, it's crammed down their throat is I really don't think that you can like force someone to do something to anything and to the point where they're going to like it and they're going to rebel against it. That's anything. If you force a kid into a sport, they don't want to play. They're going to rebel against it. Same thing with the faith. And I think that the problem is, is that we don't instill a sense of wonder, a sense, a sense of like, searching right this like this searching feeling that you have right now allows you to be even sit at this table right now and, and take things in because if you were not in a state of like what you even actively called searching you wouldn't want to hear what we have to say right now regardless of whether or not you were open to it or anything you wouldn't want to hear it and it's the same thing for a high school kid when they aren't in a state of mind of wanting to hear truth and it's being crammed down their throat they were going they're going to rebel against it and i mm -hmm. think for me personally the reason why i uh, and I and I've done my fair share of research across the board in other faiths, you know, but when I started searching, of course, the first place I looked was the Catholic faith because that's where I was raised, that's where I was given, and I've never been dissatisfied with the answers that I found. So I have never needed to leave there, but that's not the case for everybody, right? That's that that's that sense of searching, and like I said, if that if they don't have that genuine sense of wonder about things that are beyond us. It doesn't matter what type, how many arguments you give them. It doesn't matter how many times you make them go to mass. If they don't, or if they aren't, if their mouth isn't open to receive what you are giving to them, it's going to fall on deaf ears. And yeah, you could convince me that you could try to convince me that this is the best baseball bat of all time. I don't like baseball. I don't need a bat. Exactly. It's not going to interest me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. Congratulations! You've been telling me, talking to me for two hours about baseball bats, and and I don't like baseball. <laughs> to finish my thought from before about people's experience that's the number one thing i hear is i had a bad experience with a catholic they were hypocritical why would i listen to what they have to say but our own faith we admit that we're hypocrites we admit that we can't live up to it that's the core of it we are all flawed we are all sinners and that's why we need the grace and mercy of god so the idea that us being imperfect makes God not real is wild when the whole reason we're or when the core of why we're saying God is real is because we're imperfect and that feels a little circular but maybe you can help me to straighten that well, out I, I just think so there is actually a quote from the TV show house Did you ever anyone ever watch that show no because uh, of baller. <laughs> um, he's interacting with this patient who is uh, I think she's terminally ill and she's a believer and he obviously is not in the show and he's continually berating her about, Oh, you know, where's your God now? Like your God's not answering your prayers. Like, 
your prayers are falling on deaf ears or whatever. And eventually it comes to it that she starts to have doubts, I think, or something like that. She says this line that's it's very profound, but it says, uh, you can fall short of an ideal and still hold the ideal. And to expand on that, what kind of ideal would it be if you are capable of achieving it? Right? right. If no one's going to, if I said, you know, I just recently started going to the gym a little bit more. If I were to say my goal is to lose five pounds, like why, why even bother going to the gym at that point? Like, of course I can lose five pounds, you know, of course I can get from, I can bench 120 pounds. Like that would be super easy. That's not an ideal that's worth fighting for because we want to shoot high. And as you know, like in all things, right. You, if you set the bar low, you won't even, you won't, you, maybe you rise to that bar, but you're definitely not going to rise above it. And you may not even eventually make it there. You may fall short of that bar too, because, uh, ideals that are not set high don't bring out the best in human beings. So you're comparing ideals to goals. Yeah. More or less. I okay. was using those interchangeably. Okay, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I can see what you're saying. What if, uh, yeah, I would love to hear, you know, what are some of your classic, just hearing about Catholics? What, what are the things that, cause like you said, I mean, it is, it is really sad. I mean, you're from, you're from the Bay area, which we all know to be not the most fond place of the Catholic church. Um, I used to go up there all every single year for like six or seven years for the uh, walk for life. So it was like the West coast walk for life. And there'd be like a hundred thousand people there and it would be the voice against abortion and, uh, all things like that. And man, the, the protesters, dude, it was intense, man. They were be people, girls running around topless, like people throwing condoms at everybody. Like, and it was just so like, it is clearly not very well liked in the San Francisco area. Because yeah, I mean, it's very liberal. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, as far as like the obvious cases with like the scandal and things like that, the frustration that people feel, and I know this sounds like a cop out when people say it, but like we feel it a lot. The amount of anger and frustration that people have at the church who are outside of it. And I don't want to diminish their feelings. I definitely don't want to diminish the experience of those who have either had a loved one or they themselves have had trauma, but we are not free from the, the suffering of what the church has done. You know, when you care about something and you see the failings of it, you definitely suffer greatly because a lot of people, sometimes it feels like their anger at the church is not even well-placed or it's a, it was kind of like a, they were waiting for any opportune moment to kind of jump on the bandwagon of give, giving them a reason where it is not from a genuine place of care. It's from like a, Oh yeah, finally now we have something to This is a good enough excuse yeah. for me to leave. Or yeah, good yeah. enough excuse for me to leave or a good enough reason for me to talk down at or whatever it might be. Their anger is oftentimes not like a righteous anger, but I you know, we we I have wrestled with this a lot and it's definitely not something that's easy to overcome as someone inside the faith. Yeah. I would say that coming from just the political aspect for me. I mean, politics are kind of something that's pretty touchy, but I won't get too deep into it, but I think the political aspects alone pull me away because I do believe that women should be able to choose what they do with their bodies, regardless of not, because if the horrible circumstances were to happen and they didn't have control, they should be able to do it. Um, I just don't think a guy in the White House should be able to tell women like what to do with their bodies. And that's not saying anything like what you guys think, like, oh yeah, we think Donald Trump should be able to tell women. That's not what you guys are saying. 
you guys are saying our beliefs don't align with the value of abortion. And I get that. And I totally get it. But I think just like certain things like that, obviously that's a huge subject that can be talked about for hours. But I just, the people that I meet from the church, the Catholic church, I don't meet people that I want to be around at time, like most of the time. There's only a handful of really religious folks that I see myself being with, like in the same room. Like I said, it's like three professors, maybe 10 kids our age, and my coach. You know, it's like, I'd much rather be with my housemates who were carefree, lived the way that I like to live, didn't really have a religious belief, but were like spiritual in a sense. Like there were moments, I'd say one of my housemates was completely atheist. But I'd say like the other ones are mostly like on the fence or on the and maybe in your guys' eyes the wrong side of the fence. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the people that are involved. I don't think it's like seeking faith is one thing, but being part of a religion is a whole nother thing for me, at least. And, and that may be a, a weird thing to hear, but as a 23 year old kid, still a kid figuring things out in life, I don't enjoy surrounding myself with the people that are involved. Like, I just feel uncomfortable because I just don't agree with a lot of things that they agree with. That's the biggest issue for me, I think, about religion because I just I just can't stand a lot of the people that I've met. Yeah. And I would, to the point of seeking faith but not religion once you so you're seeking and once you find something then it places a demand the idea being you're looking for let's say something in which you can believe once you find it the religion follows afterwards so the idea the example for this would be you know two we're plus saying, two equals four no <laughs> the example for this would be we're saying god is love if we can get that three-word sentence, a lot flows after it. So if we can get to the point of God is love, there's a lot in what are we calling God and what does it mean to love? Because if God is he who created us, and if love is to will the good of the other, going back to the ideals, we want to act as the ideal. So the one who created us as the ideal is willing our good if we want to be like that which is ideal, we should will the good of others. What does that look like opens a whole new can of worms, all the way down to something like we just talked about with abortion, but even less than that, not judging each other. So what I mean by that is, if we're saying we want to will the good of the other, eating McDonald's every day is bad for you, it would not be loving of me to let you eat McDonald's every day, or to encourage you eating McDonald's every day. Okay. So. What I'm saying is once you get to the idea, there are a lot of things that come after it. And that's what we usually lead with, what comes after it, instead of where are we starting from. Yeah. What's a better way I can get that whole point across? I, mean, I think that that's plenty good. I think the problem is, is when it comes to the faith, in the words of the Joker, everybody just loses their mind, right? Because the idea that you are saying, 
you know, that you can impose a belief on somebody when it's beneficial for them, whether they want to or not, is totally a common practice, right? Every single law that the world has. And if this idea, this is, this is the concept of, in this, we talked about, if there's no appeal. This is with the morality aspect, right? Where you said, when someone asks you like, how can you be a good person if you don't believe in God? I don't question how you could be a good person. I, what I, what I question is by whom's authority, whom's, by whose authority, whom's is, by whose authority do you claim that someone else is a bad person? C.S. Lewis talks about it where in the sense that even the people who actually claim that there is no objective truth, that there is just subjective, you know, whatever it is that you experience. I believe the example he uses is like a theater seat. He says, when they go to the bathroom, take their theater seat and watch how quickly they say that that's not fair. By whose authority is it that it's not fair? And I know that that's kind of a, a trivial example, but it does it does boil down all the way down to things like abortion, where in the sense that I know that it is a touchy subject, we I think our world has gone into a cowardice mode where we we can we can, we we allow ourselves the convenience of saying, well, you know, I would never do that, I would never impose that on somebody else. I personally wouldn't do it, and I understand why people don't think it's good, but I would never impose that belief when, like, in an objective sense, right, like truth outside of yourself. Either that is a human being or it's not. And we need to come to that conclusion because there's too much at stake otherwise for us to be taking the moral middle ground, right? And the idea is that, like I said, because there's tons of things, but take the McDonald's example, right? If everybody was eating McDonald's in the whole wide world, no, no, everyone in the world was getting fat, we would have claim to say that this should stop. And the whole world would pretty much be able to get behind that and say that people are dying. And the McDonald's, that's kind of a little bit more complicated, but... You know, if everyone was stealing something, we st- we put a law in place to do it. So we do make appeals to impose on other people when values are necessary. I do think when it comes to faith um, and when it comes to sexuality, the world kind of just loses their mind about it. Where otherwise there would have been conviction. Like you're an athlete, right? You you have pushed yourself greatly to achieve heights in soccer. And if you a guy on your team came to the team and wasn't pushing himself at all, was falling behind on fitness, and was affecting the team, you would be very quick to say, do this or get off the team, right? Um, I have said that before. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but when it comes to something that is a little bit more sensitive and makes an appeal to God, I think that we oftentimes lose our our chutzpah. And I think that's just the, like, the consequence of the world that we live in. But I would say that you yourself hold that belief of, I will impose when I need to on more things than you would led on yeah yeah i agree i mean i'm like i don't know things i'm incredibly passionate about i would say that like like soccer it's probably the main thing that i express myself to that extent but like in a lot of things i don't really care i can give an example of a group project because we've all done them and we've always had that one person that sucks. Just sucks. They don't do anything. And you could quickly judge them and say, you're a terrible student. You don't help us at all. We're going to not sign your name on this and you're going to get an F. Which a lot of people do. Me personally, it's like, I'm just going to do my way. And if the project's incomplete when we turn it in, we know who to blame. You know, it's like for me, it's like I'm not going to call someone out unless it's in soccer. Two questions, though. Sure. One, what if them not doing their part 
tanks your grade? And two, is it really good for them if they get a good grade off of your guys' work without doing anything? Uh, second question is a no. It's not good for them because you are helping them by saying, hey, I mean, there's better ways to approach it, obviously. You can be like, hey, man, like, could you just contribute a little bit? You know, could you just at least do your part? But I, I'm just, I was just using like an extreme way of saying like, I've heard people tell me in a group project because I was taking like a day longer than they wanted me to, telling me like, how lazy can you be? It's like, well, I travel every weekend for sports. You know, like, I can't just be here working on my project. I don't have internet. I get it done the day I get back. Well, we want to move on. Just move on then. You know, it's like, but it's like, I can see where people are coming from. And it's coming back to your point of like, you do impose yourself in certain situations more than probably we think. But I guess just me personally, I'm a lot chiller about it than a lot of people are. Um, I've had an experience where the teacher tanked us because the one of our uh, members of our group didn't do his part. And then we told the teacher, look, we all did the part that we split. We told him he needed to do it and he didn't do it. And the teacher typically will understand. And we just present what we have. And then he gets to sit down. And you let the teacher handle that because that's her job. Obviously, being part of a group, you do want to hold each other accountable. But to a certain extent, not to the point of judging them. Yeah, but it's not about judging, right? I'd, I'd say it comes from a place of love. It's saying, this is what needs to be done. This is what is good. I want you to do what is good. Right. Because it's not good for them if they don't do it. It's not good for you guys if you don't do it. So, and this is why we fall back on our definition of love being to will the good of the other. It's not good for them to not do the work. So it's not a point of judging. It's a point of loving. Yeah. And like the way you look at it is great. And I agree with you because that's how I approach the judgments in my soccer. Is like, I'm not doing this because I hate you. I'm doing this because I love this team and I want you to be successful. Is usually what I say. But I, I don't know, I it's weird. I approach everything so different compared to my sport. Yeah, Just, but I feel like with the sport, right, I mean... I'm also way closer to my teammates yeah. than I am to my group members. Yeah. I don't feel as comfortable imposing mm -hmm. myself in that way. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not, not even really in the sense talking about like a general sense of you personally imposing on another person personally. I'm talking about in the general context of why there's rules in the faith, right? And we can kind of talk about, I'm probably going to it right now in a second, but the reason why is because either this real, this is a reality, right? And it either is better for you to live this way or it isn't. And it's the same kind of concept. It's either better for you to be in shape when you play soccer or it's not. It's mm -hmm. either better for you to study for your test or it's not. It's either better for you to live a moral life than it, or it isn't. It can't just be different for every person. And like we said, when there's especially when there's things at stake here, it's easy to pick on the abortion one because, like I said, is if if we are talking human life here, there's a lot at stake. You know, there's arguably nothing greater at stake. And I, you know, we've talked about this before in this episode, uh, not in this episode, in another episode. But I would like to give the same example again, just for your own sake, like you know. I think this is the Mark Murphy thing, the 
uh, Deacon Deacon Mark Murphy at our parish, and he says, you know, with the Ten Commandments, right? The idea that everyone always say, oppose, say that they are imposed on us as rules, but you know, you can go to somebody and you could say, if you had like, a little sibling or a little cousin or something, you were never going to see them again. What is one piece of advice you would give them? And they, you'd probably say something like, you know, stay in school, be passionate, love others, be kind. And in a sense, like you could word that in the same sense. What if you were to word that thou shalt be kind, thou shalt stay in school, thou shalt be compassionate towards others, thou shalt be yourself. You're actually not imposing rules. What you're doing is you're giving advice on how to live the most full life. And this is kind of the same way it is with God and the faith. God is the author of life. And he knows what, how best to live life. So he gives us these rules, you could say, but they're not rules in the same sense of don't do this or else. It's do this so that you will be happier. G.K. Chesterton talks about it very beautifully in the sense that he says that the rules that religion places on somebody is people often view them as just like walls. And indeed, he does say that they are walls, but he says uh, you can imagine a group of school children playing on the top of a, a beautiful cliff side, right? With a very, very steep cliff at the edge. And he says that they'll put, like the school puts up a wall right there so that the kids can play freely inside the boundaries. And he says, and the problem with the world today is they say, take down the walls because you're restricting the children. And what happens when you do that is you go back and you actually see that the kids are not playing anymore because they're so afraid of falling off the cliff that they actually stay inside. And this is the same kind of concept as for us in the world is we find that they are not the rules, like I said, to hold us to hold us back. Like do don't do this or else. It's do this so that you may enjoy your life. I do an example with like a chess game where I have a kid in my class sit down with a chess board and we say let's play chess and you know we play for like five moves and then I take my queen and I knock over his king and say checkmate game over, and then they get all frustrated and I say like you lost don't be a sore loser go back and sit down and I have another kid come up and I say we do the same thing and it gets more and more ridiculous the quicker it goes, and the idea is that. That's not chess. That's not fun. And I ask them, okay, well, why isn't it chess? Because I say that that is chess. And they say, well, like, those aren't the rules. You're not playing chess anymore. I was like, well, why not? And they say, because that's not the rules of chess. I said, well, who decides the rules of chess? And they all say the creator. And it's the same thing with life in morality and things like that is that if God really is the author of life, he decides not because he's cruel, but because he understands the game. Like I could hand you a chessboard having never played before with no rules and your rules would be completely different, and it wouldn't be the way that chess was intended to be played. So God does the same thing for us. He gives us a set of rules, not to, really long-winded way to say, not to hold us back, but to bring us new heights, which is essentially the theme of the, what was it, like episode two, Wings versus Chains? Yeah. Well, that was really well said. Um, I Thank I'm you. Just, That's all the time we have. So Yeah. <laughs> I, I just have, I guess the big question for me is like, can you give me an example of where you've like spoke with God and you've like felt like felt it, like felt a mm -hmm. response or cause I've had people say like, well, God spoke to me, mm -hmm. I've heard that saying and I don't get it. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I don't know where you're hearing that. I mean like in your dreams, um, in a vision, I, I would like to hear from both of you. Just a, doesn't have to be a super long answer, but just like an example of kind of where you had that happen. Maybe I can go first. He usually texts me about 3 a.m. and says, you up? Question mark. You too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow, dirty. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't had that experience. I haven't heard a voice from the clouds. 
I don't have signs or premonitions. I haven't had it. Nevertheless, I don't feel that that hinders my faith. And so if Eddie wants to maybe talk on it for a little bit and we can circle back, but I don't think that hearing his voice and what that encompasses is by definition necessary to have a fruitful Catholic faith. Well, you mentioned premonitions because I have had premonitions or like I dream that something happens and then I wake up and that day it happens. Like something as little as at 3.45, my mom is going to text me, we are canceling the dinner tonight with your brother. And I like think it when I wake up, like maybe I should text my brother and see if we're still having dinner. But I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do it. I'll probably hear from someone. But it's like super subconscious. And then my mom will text me at 3.45 or 3.30. Just to let you know, it's, it's only us for dinner tonight. I feel like I have deja vu. Mm. And then I'll be tell my mom, like, yo, my sidekick or what's cracking? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's just like, like that was super dope. What just happened? You know what I mean? And she says it's like premonitions. Like you have like a vision from the other side. Mm. So it's like, like that's a very small example. But I've like had stuff happen to me like that before. Like four or five times. I've also had dreams where like I can see myself sleeping. Just laying in my bed. I'm just like standing over myself. It's really weird. Like I'm a very vivid dreamer. So we're a lot of the great saints. Nice. <laughs> um, so why don't you give me an example for you? So, again, I think there's, you know, God doesn't give, God's only going to give you something if it's going to help you, right? I am a very prideful person. I am a very, I, I'm going to say prideful again. <laughs> uh, and I'm the most prideful. Yeah, the one's more prideful than me. <laughs> Uh, and the idea is that if God were to just give me all gifts in that sense, where like speak to me directly, I honestly think it would destroy me. Not because of um, because I would just let I would just my my pride would run amok, right? And this is the idea that I was actually just talking to a friend of mine. Like I know people who have had incredible like miracles, even like financial miracles. Like I just heard about somebody who was like really struggling with money and got like a phone call and said. God told me to call this number and pay off your mortgage, like a $600,000 mortgage. That's like that. Like, I mean, that'd be a sweet call. Yeah, I know. Right. But the sense is like God, like maybe that person really needed that. Right. God has provided me to the point where like I can live to the extent that he needs me to. I don't know what would happen. Like if that's actually not going to help my salvation, he's not going to give that to me in the sense. Um, but as far as, you know, talking to God and hearing his voice and I would see Alec, you probably cut yourself a little bit short. Like, you know, I'm sure that, you maybe have never heard his voice, but like you, we hear him, and it's in the it's in the the still whispers of your heart, where there would be time, things that pop into your head where like that that couldn't have been me, or where you're praying with somebody and something pops into your head and you say it out loud, and the person's like, "That was literally what I was just thinking." I have had an experience of I've had tons of experiences with things like that where I was sitting in the chapel at my college. There's a bunch of chapels at my college, but I was sitting in the main chapel, like where they have their actual masses. Because every dorm has their own chapel. And there's a place, and there's a place with like that had that was a separate chapel just for 24 hour prayer. And then like the place that I was at is usually because there's so many other chapels, usually pretty empty. And I was in a, all throughout college, I was in a bit of a funk. Like I never really hit my stride in the faith. I don't think because I was in a very judgmental mood and like a, I hadn't fully become aware of 
my own sin. So I was like really spinning my tires on how to be holy. Still am. But anyway, that's why I, I like needed. I was just like, I just hate being around other people when I'm praying. So I'd go to this chapel because it was just empty, right? I was sitting in the chapel all by myself, dark room, just looking at the crucifix, really wrestling with something. To this day, I don't even really remember what it was. All of a sudden, guy walks in from the, to the back of the chapel. Guy, I've only I've seen him walking around campus, never had an interaction with him. Walks up to my row, looks at me, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, this guy's going to sit in this row. Gets into my row, keeps walking towards me, sits down literally next to me, like almost on top of me. And I'm like, okay, dude, like get out of my face. And he says like, Hey man, I was just in the library studying and I got this feeling that I needed to come into this chapel and say this to this person, whoever was sitting in there. And he's like, da, 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 da. And it was literally exactly what I was thinking. And I was like, he was like, all right, that's it. And he got up and left and I never spoke to him again. And like, those are the things that's like with, when you hear them and you're like, you know, there's gotta be another explanation, but I, I can't think of another explanation. And I've had experiences where, you know, God has given me, you know, like not quite like vivid visions, like in the sense that, that you've talked about, but like where you get an image in your head or in your mind or a whisper in your heart where, you know, where it's, where it's brought me to tears, where it's brought me to just complete conversion, where the sense that like, um, you know, there's a story from the old Testament where Elijah's hiding in a cave because people are out to get him because, he was a prophet and they didn't like him. So, you know, they say that he, he saw, there was a big earthquake and he's like, but I didn't find God in the earthquake. And there was a great fire and I didn't find God in the fire. And there was a great wind and I didn't find God in the wind. Then I heard that a still small whisper and he fell to his knees and proclaimed to God because he heard him in that moment. But that being said, like, if you have these experiences of like, you could call it the spiritual realm, you call whatever you want, but God calls people to different gifts, right? And I know I have people who have had very vivid experiences with angels and demons and crazy things like that. But, and that's a real reality that God makes aware to some people. You know, I was just talking with a student who had a crazy encounter with like, you know, he was really struggling with the faith. We had a conversation about it and he was laying in his bed, you know, and he felt like he was, I heard a demon outside. He started, it started with a tiny voice and it got louder and louder and louder until eventually he like, he said, like, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke the spirit. And actually, it, it came, went into a, a barking sound, he said. And then he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke the spirit. And he said, it went away. Like that. Didn't even. And it just went away instantly. Shows maximum composure to say that sentence. Yeah. That <laughs> crazy, right? <laughs> I would have been like, get out! <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Um, and it was a very profound moment for him. But I've never, like, I've never had anything like that, right? And I think God just, God, well, I was just talking to a friend about this. God does what he wants when he wants wherever you find feel like you are not finding God is probably where you should be looking for him. He wills wherever he, wherever he wants to will. Um, the spirit is crazy. That's why there was actually a common image of the, of the Holy spirit was always like, like a goose because like they're so wild and unpredictable that like they could be just chilling for one second and then they'll just like charge you out of nowhere. Just pissed. Freaking and geez, yeah. And they're like, they're wild and they're fearless. And they're like, I don't care if you're 20 times my size. I'm, I'm going to fight you for no reason. Like, I don't know who you are, but I'm going to fight you. And that's like the kind of the Holy Spirit is that like, it's just crazy and out of the blue. And that's like the exciting aspect of the faith. I think that that is so lost on by all the minutia of the rules that like, I think that one of the greatest sadnesses of this attack on the faith is that we've lost the faith, right? We've lost the, the excitement, like the life of the, the lives of the saints. You want to talk about people who had exciting lives. Oh my gosh, the experiences that they've had. 
And you contrast that with the sad reality of the world we live in where, you know, sin more or less makes you incredibly boring. I can only imagine what it's like to be a priest where you're just listening to confession and you're hearing, and everyone thinks that their sins are the worst sins in the world. And you're like, yeah, that was you and the last 10 people who were in this confessional, right? Like you're all struggling with the same 10 stuff. But like, you know, the faith makes you so exciting, so vibrant. Uh, and I think that that's a great tragedy. And that's kind of one of my, probably my, I try to make my life mantra is the John Paul II quote that, you know, a life with Christ is a wonderful adventure. As cheesy as that is, but like, he calls you out of something else and he makes you into who he created you to be. And he makes you a man for others, takes you places that you would never even dream of going and places that you're afraid to go, I think as well. Yeah. I mean, I just, I know there's gotta be some people that are in the like deep in a religion that have never had reassurance that's a good word for Mm -hmm. it yeah so what i don't understand how someone could do that for so long and not have the reassurance and still believe that it's real like that trips me out after some point you give up on that Mm -hmm. it's like pursuing something in a way you have this strong belief that you can do it and you keep trying and you keep failing. And then at some point you're like, well, this isn't going to happen. So for like in your faith, you practice and you practice and you practice and you practice and you practice. And you pray and you practice and you pray and you do all this stuff. And then nothing happens. Your life is crap. Mm-hmm. Like it may be crap. You know, like you're not, you're not, you don't have a lot of money. You're not super happy with your familial situation your kids are getting in trouble but you're this strong practicer of i mean since this is catholicism catholicism like at what point do you see someone giving up because it's like we said it earlier like alex said there's like there's reasons that people leave and then it's a good enough reason and they're like okay it's a good reason to not be a part of this so like I just find it weird or oh, not weird's a bad word for it. I find it challenging to believe that someone would stick with it that long all just for the thought I'm doing this so I could go to heaven. Yeah. Um, a couple things. If I were to tell you, if you were to, you played soccer your whole life, right? You never won a championship. Would you have quit playing soccer? Uh, no matter how many times you practiced and you, you know, you were, you were confident in your ability, but for some other reason, the championship always avoided you, you know, maybe it, well, that's, that's kind of tough to say because I think because individ- I was awesome and I won every championship. <laughs> <laughs> I've won a few, but not, I don't think I based my success off of team success growing up. So my question is, what did you base it off? Of? What, what kept you playing soccer? Even if you had lost, I mean, I did go through adversity. Mm-hmm. And what kept you going through it? Because uh, I knew I was better. What else, though? Something deeper than that. Um, the drive to play collegiate soccer. Was, Beyond that, was, but why collegiate soccer? Because that's the next level. But not. Um, I'm not talking next level stuff. Why specifically soccer? Why, why made you stick through with soccer? Well, because I was good at it. That was literally <laughs> why I stuck with it. Yeah. 
And because would you say when I enjoy it, why do you enjoy it? Um, I just think it's really fun. I think mm-hmm. it's like a, an extremely unique sport uh-huh. cause you use your feet and it was just something that came natural to me when I was younger. And, and I, I would say what I'm trying to get you to dance around to and you know, dog and pony show aside, self-drive. Uh, uh, love, right? Would yeah. you say that you have a love for the sport? Totally. Yeah. And had you had kept, had you had lost, you would have still had a love for the sport, right? Lost games. Yeah. But yeah. I think if I, I, if I wasn't playing consistently, mm-hmm. at some point I would have given up on it. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean the championship, right? That doesn't necessarily mean no, winning everything. I would have quit soccer completely. If what? If I could not break into a starting 11 for my collegiate team. I had thoughts about it hmm. when I was 18. I even told him about this. Alec knows a big chunk of my freshman year was uncertainty towards do I want to keep playing this game but you could say I mean if you're not starting or you're not playing as much as you want to and it does feel like it's all going wrong the fact that you were still wrestling with it or still wanted to makes it love for sure and I think that that's the way it is with the faith a lot right is that and I'm not and the thing is is there is nobody I think you said like there's people who have never been reassured is, is the idea is what does reassurance look like for each person and like yeah, I've never had a thundercloud experience in my faith, like where God would like zap me with lightning and was like, you know, behold, I am God. But I have been very reassured in many different ways that, like I said, that aren't necessarily, you could say from a, you know, from an outside perspective is. And the second thing is, what do we value in this life? And the idea being that even if you practice the faith and your whole life is crap, and even if it isn't real, like, you still get to be a virtuous person, which people look up to. You still get to be a man of honor, which people value in this world. You still get to be a man of integrity, a man of virtue, an honest man, a trustworthy man. All things that I would, looking back on my life, like, yeah, I may not be rich, may not be famous, but I would rather be that. And I think that ties into what you were about to say, right, Alec? Yeah, I wanted to get into, and Bishop Barron does such a good job with this. He even just had a video um, talking with his content director about you know, what makes us happy. The four things that we tend to fall into are pleasure, wealth, honor, and power. And that's a lot of what I, I think you're getting to where it's like, what if you have no power? You're the lowliest of the lowly. What if you have no honor? What if you have no uh, wealth? What if you have no pleasure? Everything just feels like it sucks. Well, but, you, like, you look at like suicidal thoughts. Right. And it's, it's that. What if, can any of those four things be what brings us joy what brings us happiness what brings us meaning should we get into why why each of those four can't not oh yeah it feels like it's it a lot short. so that's something yeah. i mean they, and there's uh, resources for that maybe we'll put a link to that in the in um, the doodad we... <laughs> uh, bishop baron does a good explanation of it but pleasure wealth honor and power cannot make us truly happy so people that are you know i'm in such dire financial straits i know bishop baron was talking about there was a man who was the poorest of the so poor that he pre-sold his skeleton before he died. <laughs> he said, when I die, you can have my skeleton. Give me money now. That poor, but he was the most joyous man you there was. You can do that, right? I'll give you a number. <laughs> and in terms of that, what makes us happy? And I think in a lot of different ways, even secularly, we fall onto the same conclusion of like 
Nothing that you buy goes home with you. No one on their deathbed said, I wish I spent less time with my family. Things like that. So even outside of the faith, we kind of come to these same conclusions. So as far as someone continuing to believe in dire straits, this is almost a Pascal's wager kind of a thing. But Hmm. when you're in the worst of situations, really the only thing that can bring you comfort is if the Catholic Church is true. Does that make sense? Is it only the Catholic Church is true? Um, or are we just saying to, that? To the fullest, I would say yes. Are there things that can bring you joy? Because this is like we've talked about. There are a lot of good things. in Like Buddhism, Other like we said, you know, right. the whole detachment of Buddhism is so important. The selflessness of it is very good. And so that can bring you joy. But to be maximally happy, I think that there are tenets of just to stay in that idea we'll look at reincarnation versus eternal heaven. Mm-hmm. If we take both of them to their fullest, I'd rather be in heaven eternally than continuing to reincarnate as something on this earth. Yeah. And I think, you know, GK Chesterton also talks about this, that a lot of people say like, there's so many faiths and they all say about the same thing. They don't say the same thing as an appeal to God. They may say the same thing as far as morality goes, but he says that he's from England. He says, if you were to find a bunch of counterfeit notes of the Bank of England that doesn't disprove the Bank of England, that actually proves that the Bank of England does exist. And the same thing is if many faiths have come to similar conclusions, doesn't disprove that there's actually a real faith, that one that is correct. It actually all points in the direction that it's stemming from something that is being counterfeited. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And I do want to, just to clarify real quick, I'm not saying that, well, if this is true, that's great for me, so therefore I'm going to believe it. I don't want to overstep what I was claiming. So I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. For people who are like me, in the sense that they're trying to discover, and why should I be Catholic, or why should I be Christian, or why should I be Buddhist? Why should I be anything? Why can't I just be spiritual and love everybody? Kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people think about. You guys, I mean, Alec obviously knows me better than you do, but you know me pretty well now to see that I'm not like a bad person. Mm-hmm. I care more for others typically than I do for myself. I'm very driven. I, I All these things that are quote unquote positives. Yeah. But I do have negatives just like everyone else. And I work with those internally. And you asked me a good question pre-show about, you turn to God often when you do have these issues. And that's something that I'm definitely going to have to think more about because obviously that's not an easy question to answer. So maybe that's something we can touch base on in a few months. Yeah. And um, a couple, well, something that it wrote, I wrote down really early on because it, it stuck with me where you're talking about like, you know, you believe in a higher power and you struggle with the rules and the, and the things And I was, I was just talking to a friend of mine about it today about, um, a lot of stuff happened today uh, about how a lot of times we want a relationship with God, but we want it on our own terms, right? right. And how? And th- my advice to you is that if you are appealing to a higher power, let him be higher than you. If you accept a coach, if you get a coach that's really, really good and you respect what he has to say, but you don't, you know, like Pep Guardiola, when he goes into a, a new 
a new soccer team who, for those of you who don't know, he's like the best coach that probably has ever lived in, in soccer. Yeah, he's up there. Um, right behind Yerky Kalapi, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool fan. <laughs> Tried and true. Um, the first thing he does when he gets to a new place is they play, they do rondos. Like, for like, just, they just rondo all the time, right? Which is a drill in soccer that, um, honestly, most people find to be pointless and dumb, but he grinds it into them. And if, if his players don't submit to that and say like, I understand that you are better than me at this. I understand that you have a vision that I can't see and I need to do these things. Right. Um, but the problem is we say like, God, yeah, I understand that you're a higher power, but like, like get below me and make it work in my life. Like I said, so my, my appeal to you would be if you are appealing to a higher power, let him be higher than you in the sense that when he, when things are being called out of you that maybe make you uncomfortable or put demands on you, it's, think about it like yeah he's going to be putting demands on you because he's higher than you and uh, there was there was a quote that i really wanted to um i wanted to share with you at the ever since the beginning the, and how i want I just want to affirm you in the searching like i don't want i don't want you to leave this and anybody who's listening to this in a similar position searching is so important and so good because searching and questioning means you're taking something serious that genuine search will be will find you will find I think the problem is, is people a lot of times will say that they're searching and they're really not right. They'll say, I'm just searching, but I don't, I don't get that sense from you. Right. I feel like you, like I said, I think you are an intelligent man. I think you are a man of great conviction and passion. If that search, if you allow that search to continue and not be disheartened by confusion or doubts or whatever, you're going to land yourself where you want to go. Um, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis from the, the last book from the Chronicles of Narnia series, which is, I actually haven't read them all the way through. Cody, who was just on a little bit longer, wants me to because he said they're really, really good. And I've read parts of, you know, all of them. But uh, this is like one of the last one of the last lines, essentially. Not it, So there's a guy who's evil, essentially. He was born into the evil side of the army, right, of the battle. He gets to go to heaven, right? And he meets Aslan, who's the Christ figure, the lion. He, this is what he says to him. Uh, his name is uh, Emeth. And he says, Aslan speaks to Emeth. He says, Beloved, said the glorious one, unless your desire had been for me, you would not have sought so long and so truly, for all find what they truly seek. And since then, O kings and ladies, I have been wandering to find... Oh, and then, then this is Emmeth says, right? And he says, and since then, I, king, I have been wandering to find him, and my happiness is so great that it even weakens me like a wound. And this is the marvel of marvels, that he called me beloved, me who am but as a dog. If you have a genuine desiring search in your heart, from what like from where I'm saying is that desire is good and that desire is from God. And God will never look down on somebody for like I said, I was lucky, right? I was born cradle Catholic. The first place that I looked when I started looking for God landed me in the church and I've never needed to leave. You are searching because you don't know where you're where to look yet. And you're looking all over the place. And as long as that like that search won't be satisfied for anything less than the truth, I would make the very strong contention that that is found in Jesus Christ. And as Aslan says in this thing, he says, if you, if you weren't searching for me this entire time, you wouldn't have looked so hard or so long because a person who's searching mm. out the faith for nefarious reasons that runs dry. And like you said, you've been searching now for years and have really been starting to take it more serious in recent years, right? As you've had better experiences with your coach and things like that. And since I've traveled, yeah. it's been the big the big one. So I want to commend you in that. And I want you to like know that, I mean, you always have a home with Alec and I, you always have a home with, with um, I'm sure your coach and things like that. And you have lots of people who you can reach out to. And I encourage you to keep doing research and keep searching because as long as you're searching, the battle's not over. Right. 
So to just keep going with that. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on today. Glad I could offer some input from the other side. And I and I do think there's a lot of people who out there who are in the same boat as you. So, and I you know I hope that this would maybe inspire them to have conversations with people that they know about this kind of stuff because it can be done civilly. It can be done out of love on both ends. I think. Yeah, Alec. That's it for me. And, and I know Joan and I we've had a lot of similar conversations over the years. Of it's not done at once we didn't start this recording with the hope that by the end jonah was going to be like all right cool let's go let's go to church i brought my baptismal bowl for nothing (laughs) (laughs) and and i think that's really part of it we're not trying to sell you on something we're just coming from a point of love and want to offer what we can right and that's the same quote we've used it's a a beggar showing another beggar where they found bread Hmm. this is something that has brought us joy and peace and love and we want you to share in that mm-hmm. so i appreciate you being vulnerable here and being willing to put this out to the world because this is a hard thing and it's brave of you because like we said there are a lot of people here who might not have a resource like eddie to talk to who might not know what their questions even are but who are having similar feelings so thank you very much and hopefully we can do it again yeah i'd love to i'm glad i could offer this side of it obviously these guys offer great insight so if you do have questions tune in (laughs) all right and that's the sinner's take (laughs) from all of us here at sinner's take you will hear us in the next one